What great singing this morning. Don't you love that last song? I love how the line about the Holy Spirit says, now with us. I'm grateful today that the Holy Spirit is in us and working in us as believers and leading us and guiding us into all truth. And that's what we're praying for this morning as we talk about parenting. We have had a parenting conference with an emphasis this weekend as a church, Friday evening, Saturday morning, concluding obviously this morning uh, in our services, preaching on parenting and uh, in our small group time, uh, many of our small groups met in here and had uh, a last session, if you will. But we have been focusing on parents because parenting is important. Amen. God has tasked us. God has given us as uh, adults who are having children, this task, this responsibility of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's how Paul lays it out in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. So I hope you'll find your place there. And uh, we're going to talk about parentocracy, a, a title that uh, is made up by me. It's not a true word, but uh, it's conveying an idea that I believe we see in Scripture, and it's definitely an idea that we want to talk about this morning because it's in Scripture. It's this idea of leadership and guiding and directing children in the home. And so if you find your place there in Ephesians 6, we're going to jump in here this morning. You probably have heard of the author Mark Twain. He wrote two very famous books back in the 1800s, uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. He was known as a humorist, a cartoonist, and a great writer, and uh, one that you would not think you would find quotes about parenting, but he had a lot to say about a lot of things in life, and this is one of his sayings about parenting. Uh, speaking of his own experience as a child with parents, he says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much that old man had learned in seven years. And as I think about that quote, and I read that quote, I, I, I go back in my own life and my own experience. I can remember being around that age, 14, 15 years old, and, and thinking about how I viewed my own father, how I viewed my own dad in the home that I grew up in. My dad died when I was 15, and so my memories of him go up to my 15th year. And so I can re visually remember myself the weekend before he died. He died on a Wednesday. I remember that previous Saturday morning being out in the woods, squirrel hunting with my dad, and him whistling for me because it was time for us to head back to the truck and go home, and him whistling and me not responding out of just a rebellious spirit because I thought it was so ignorant of him to have to whistle to holler at me to make sure that I would meet him at the truck. That Of course I'm coming to the truck. I have a watch on my wrist. I know what time to meet him. And so I refused to respond to him. So I was like Mark Twain. I thought my dad was a blooming idiot, but it's amazing how when you get a little bit older and you jump into those adult years, and especially as an adult, you begin to have children of your own, look back on what your parents said and taught and instilled in you, and all of a sudden those ignorant words become wisdom. And you're like, wow, he really did know what he was talking about. Wow, she really did make sense when she was trying as a mom to instruct me and teach me and lead and guide me in certain ways. And so we read Mark Twain's statement here and we think, wow, that's humorous. But it is so much more than humorous. It is profound truth. And yet both parents and children recognize this struggle, right? As I'm telling my story and Mark Twain is relating his story, you're probably going there in your own mind and, and relating on your own story of how you reflected upon your parents back then and what you think of them now. And so we can see this struggle, can we not? 
We understand the struggle in the home. We understand, understand the fight that, that, that's there and, and how we as parents now want to be accepted by our kids. And we want our kids to like us. And we want our kids to accept us. And we want our kids to be around us. And, and the struggle with that because we know we're also supposed to be the leader and the director and the guider and the protector and all of those things. And so it is a struggle. Many times it's a war zone in the home. I've joked often how uh, we will come to church on Sunday mornings and we will knock, knock, have a knockdown drag out, a, a full on fight in the vehicles on the way to church. And then you get to the campus and you pull into the parking spot and, and you open the door and all of a sudden those who were fighting and hating each other in the vehicle now are smiling, shaking hands and saying, man, it's great to be here, right? We, we, we understand this fight. We understand this struggle. It's a real fight. And so many times parents will wave the proverbial white flag and they will surrender their authority in an attempt to preserve peace in the home. And yet that peace that they're seeking, that peace that they're striving after really never comes to fruition. Instead, what they produce is a home full of chaos and mess. Parenting is hard. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. Parenting is not for those who would think that it would be an easy endeavor. No, parenting is difficult and it is at times painful. Its difficulty will lead parents to choose friendship and passivity over intentionality and leadership. And so this weekend we have set aside time to focus on parenting, to focus on the biblical role of mom and dad in the home. And I want us to be reminded of the truth that parenting is under attack. Parenting in the home and the family have been under attack all the way since Genesis 3. If we go back to that time, we see that sin enters the world. In that moment in Genesis 3, we see how it plays out in Genesis 4 where Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel and one brother rises up and kills another brother. And so that home has been under attack then and it is under attack today. So we want to talk about this. We want to understand our enemy. We want to understand the worldly influences. We want to understand how those play themselves out in our own lives, in our own story, and how they work themselves out in our own home. Because an enemy is roaring and seeking whom he may devour. As we recognize this, we understand that the parent-child relationship is significant. It is not something that is socially constructed. It's not a tool that society has put together to make things easier and better for us. No, it's the exact opposite of that. It is the basis for the first institution that God created, that of the family. Therefore, it's not up for the debate. Dr. Albert Moeller in his book, The Gathering Storm, says, The creator of the universe crafted the parent-child relationship as an institution for human good and flourishing. He says it promotes love and relationships and societal peace. This relationship with, between parent and child must not be reduced. It must not be removed. Instead, it must be embraced we must lean into this relationship and understand how it works and how it should work and what it means for us. It's a sacred relationship. It's one that's grounded in what we would call ontological truth or grounded in nature, grounded within the creational order itself. Too many parents, however, don't recognize this. They miss this. They don't recognize the war that's being waged in their home. They don't recognize the shift in values and, and how those are subtle and they're not 
broad movements against those values. Instead, it's a little slip here and a little slip there, and, and so we don't pay attention to it because we're passive, because we're not intentional, because we're trying to be reactive rather than proactive in how we parent our children. And so it's a whole lot like that famous experience, uh, experiment of putting a frog in a pot of cold water and sticking it on the stove. Begin to heat that water, and the frog doesn't recognize that the water is getting hotter and hotter around him. And so that frog just adjusts his body to the temperature of the water, and it gets to the point where the water is boiling, and you no longer have a frog that's alive. You've got boiled frog legs. That's what happens in our homes. We don't understand the, the, the changes that are taking place. We don't understand the, the mindset of change here and the mindset of change there. And this gradual drift in moral and spiritual standards will eventually destroy our families. As a church, this morning, I, I want us to just be reminded that we affirm God's word and what it says about the family. We affirm today that that. that the family is God's design. It's God's design for there to be a mom and a dad and a home and who are committed in a loving relationship with one another that they've embraced that and they walk in that covenant marriage relationship. It's in this context that children are given this beautiful picture of the gospel. As Paul would lay it out in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, where he talks about how this picture of marriage is a picture of the gospel itself. You know, Paul is talking about in Ephesians how the gospel is changing our lives. It brings us from death to life. And that's chapters 1 through 3 in the gospel and what it does in us spiritually. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, he lays out how we're to live out this gospel. And chapter 5 is largely about marriage. Then he gets to the end of that chapter, and he's like, I'm not really talking about marriage at all. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about how Christ loves the church. I'm talking about what this looks like. And so when our children grow up in a home where there's a godly man and a godly woman who are raising godly children, what they're seeing is, all, is everything that the Lord would have us to see about how Jesus loves us. So we affirm that today. We believe God's design is for children to be raised in that sort of home, to be raised in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Christian parents ought to love, protect, guide, and correct their children. These two areas are largely where the war is waged. The, the war, war is waged, the battle is fought between mom and dad and what's happening with the kids. And so why is it that we have so much divorce in the world today? Why is it that we have so much divorce within the church today? It's because there's a war happening there between the family and the Lord. And if the enemy can get our homes broken between mom and dad, it's much more likely for the kids to be broken. We need to understand their war is also being waged between parents and children, where God directs us in his word as parents to bring our children up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. And yet there's little, as Jackie Harmon said this weekend, there's little monsters running around the house who want their way. Did you ever think it's funny that you don't have to teach kids to be bad. You don't have to teach kids to steal. You don't have to teach, teach kids to push others or bite others or, push or, or punch others. That all comes naturally. You don't have to teach a kid to rebel against mom and dad. That comes naturally. And so you've got this little monster that's running around the house that's trying to be king, and yet you as a dad and mom sit in that rightful seat. And so you're warring against one another. And we have a tendency as parents to not want to fight that, but instead seek to hate have peace and to be peaceable. 
Now, we should be peaceable and we should seek peace, but how we go about that makes all the difference. Will we be passive? Will we be, will we be reactive? Or will we be proactive and intentional and purposeful in how we parent our children? This weekend, what we've been trying to do is talk about the importance of being proactive, the importance of being intentional, the importance of taking our responsibilities seriously as a mother and as a dad and raising children who love the Lord. Now, the ideal is a mom and a dad who love Jesus in a home who are raising kids to love Jesus. Now, that's the ideal, but the reality of today is, is that's, that's not the case in every home. In our church, we have, like in every church, we have homes where there's been divorce. We have homes where there's been the loss of a parent through death. I grew up in a home like that. My parents weren't divorced. My parents split up because one died and the other remains even to this, this day. And so that changes the dynamic of the home. And so what we've got to do is understand our role, understand our responsibility, and lean into those circumstances and say, regardless of where we find ourselves in life today and the situation of life today, I'm going to love Jesus, I'm going to pursue Jesus, and I'm going to do everything I can to point my kids to Jesus for their good and for his glory. And so we want to take back if it's been lost, take back the rightful authority that God has given to mom and dad and raise our children in that way. And so I've titled the sermon simply Parentocracy Today. And I've titled, to, titled it that way because I want us to understand that our homes are not a democracy. You see, when your kids and you are talking about a situation or an issue or an area of, uh, of debate... In other words, you say this, and they say, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to do this over here. And so the, there becomes a, a vote that takes place. No, who's going to have the most votes for that? That's not how you should lead your home because your home is a parentocracy. You're in charge. You're the authority. You're the boss. You lay out the parameters and the boundaries because that's the right, the responsibility, and the duty that God has given you. So our homes are not a democracy. Little Johnny and little Susie should not get a vote on what you're going to do and the direction you're going to go and the values you're going to hold as a family. That is your responsibility. That is your authority to make those decisions and choices. Now, obviously, little Johnny and little Susie probably aren't going to like that at times. and It's going to create conflict. It's going to create fights. And you've got to learn how to navigate through those, and that's the art of parenting. How many parents do we have in the house this morning? Parents, grandparents, so the vast majority of us are parents. There's a few of you who are trickled in here who are not parents, but you probably will be parents at some point, right? We got teenagers, we got young adults, we have some that are all older who never had children. But the vast majority of us in this room are parents, probably those watching us online are parents. And so this morning, we want to understand what does the Word of God say about parenting? What is this idea of parentocracy? And how am I to lead in my home for God's glory and the good of my children, but also the good of society itself? So, Mom... You need to be leading a mom-tatorship in your home. And dad, you need to be leading a dad-tatorship in your home in this umbrella of a parentocracy where you are the authority, but you're not an authoritarian type of leader. You're a constructive, building type of parent, helping your kids to love the Lord and to grow in the Lord, setting those standards and the parameters. So if you got your place, let's look at what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul here is explaining to these believers in Ephesus how to walk their faith out. I kind of set that up earlier. Paul has laid the gospel out, and now he is telling them how to walk it out, how to walk it out in their marriage. That's what Ephesians 5 is largely about. I mean, he starts that chapter with, therefore, be imitators of God. Okay, how do we imitate God? We need to imitate God in our marriage. Then he moves into how we're to imitate God in our families. That's what we just read here. And so children are to obey the parents. Parents are to raise their children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. He's going to move from that and talk about how we are to imitate God in the workplace, how we're to imitate God in everyday life. As he ends chapter 6 of how we are to understand the spiritual war that we're in and put on the armor of God and walk this gospel out in how we live life. That's what Paul's explaining here to us. So thankfully, God never gives us this uh, kind of call to salvation and now that you're following Jesus and the Holy Spirit's living within you and and now you've been brought into the kingdom of God he never just kind of says now go figure it out no he gives us his word and he tells us how to apply this faith this life that we have in Jesus Christ to everyday life so we are no longer spiritually dead we've been raised to new life in Jesus we're commanded to imitate God and now he gives us our walking orders and how to do that in the home. But this is not the first time he's given it to us. He, back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, is that God is reiterating the law through Moses to Israel before they go into the promised land. He tells them, here's what you need to do. If you want to live holy, if you want to be holy, if you want to be the light to the Gentiles, if you want to image and, and reflect the glory of God in this world, if you want to live out your purpose for which you were created, this is how you do it. You raise children who love the Lord. You, you, you bring them under the word of God and you teach them the word of God and you keep it around them all the time. But you also need to follow it yourself. You've got to model it. You've got to know it. You've got to live it. So he's told the people of God in Deuteronomy and even earlier than that, and he tells us here what we're to do with the word of God so that we can raise children and have homes that honor the Lord and that are good. Anybody want a good home? Anybody want children who love the Lord and live right? We all want that. That's what we want. So how do we do that? This morning, I want to give you just simply four features of a parentocracy. If we're going to try to implement this in our lives and in our homes, what does it look like? What do we need to know? Let me give you four features. The first one is the idea of leadership. And here's the thought. As the parent, you are the leader in the home. I just want that to set on you for just a moment because some of you need to be reminded of that, that you are the leader in your home. Others of you, you're hearing me saying this, you're like, that's the simplest thing you could ever say. Can you actually get to something profound? Sure, I'll get to that maybe in a moment. But many of us, we just need to know and be told that you are the leader. You need to hear, I am the leader of my home. And that's what the Word of God tells us, that you are, as a parent, the leader in your home. So in many ways... The functions of parents is to simply stand in the gap between God and their children. Because they're at an age where they're not fully mature. They're moving in that direction. They're, they're not even coming to relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so as a parent, God has put you there, placed you there for the purpose of standing in the gap for them. Helping them 
to know who God is and to find God as their Savior themselves. And so parents then are stewards. Parents then are his proxy, his level of authority in the lives of children, the children that he has given you to raise. And so for this reason, Paul commands children here in Colossians chapter 3 to obey their parents. He tells them here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 to obey their parents. Chapter 6, verse 1, to obey their parents, to honor their fathers and their mothers. And so it's telling that when God first introduced his written law in the form of the Ten Commandments, that he first, on a human level, spoke to the relationship of mom and dad, parent-child relationship. So this command here comes with a promise of longevity of life. I don't know if we could ever point to somebody who died early because they didn't honor father and mother, but what the Word of God tells us is, if you want to live a long life, honor your father and mother. Obey mom and dad. That leads to the blessing of God, the favor of God, the anointing of God upon your life. And so this command here comes with this beautiful promise. It's also the only commandment among the ten that directly relates to the family. Could it be that if we can get honoring mom and dad right, that all the other relationships within our family are healthy as well. So mom and dad, I want you today recognize and I want you to own this truth for yourselves. As the parent, you are the leader in your home. You're the head of the parentocracy. So these words give you that position and they give you that authority. It's not bestowed on anyone else. You are the leader of your home. No one else is the leader of your home. The state is not the leader of your home. Right? We don't take our orders as parents from Washington. We don't take our orders as parents from Richmond. We don't take our orders as parents from the board of supervisors here in Powhatan. They have nothing to say about your authority and leadership in the home. God has that authority, and he's placed it upon you to lead. And so you're the leader of the home. Your friends have nothing to say about, they may give you advice, they may give you some helps, they may encourage you, but they are not the leaders of your home. The culture is not the leader of your home. And so we dare not raise our kids unto Hollywood. We dare not raise our kids unto with the social media. None of those things of the culture should be the ultimate influence in your life, their lives. You are that because you're the leader of the home. Some of us need to hear that. You have, for whatever reason, long ago, passively just taken a back seat in the home. And as a result, what's happening is your kids are running the show. Sometimes we look at situations like this and we may say, well, it looks like the prisoners are running the, the, the prison or, or, or the uh, inmates are running the prison. And so that should never be the case in the home. Every child here today also needs to hear from this word that they are to be submissive and obey, obedient to their parents. Because they're living under the roof of mom and dad, they need to hear and to heed the words from the Apostle Paul here today. These words are directed to children. They're a warning as well as an encouragement. And so we need to honor father and mother. We need to obey parents in all things because they are the leaders as God has set them up in the home for their good and their blessing. So parents, we need to lean in and step into this role as a leader. There's a second feature, and it's the, the idea of authority. As the parent, you set the rules in the home. So it coincides, it goes along with being the leader. Leaders have authority. Leaders set the rules. They lay out the parameters. He says in verse 1, children, obey your parents, for this is right. This is right. 
Mom and dad, your children should obey what you tell them to do, and they should obey what you tell them not to do. And so when we give an order, we give a directive, we give a command, that should be followed. Now, there's ways to go about to make sure they do that. I don't know that in our parenting style that we want to carry a whip or a big stick or, or, or something like that. That the moment they step out of line or the moment they disobey, you come hard down on them. That probably varies with each child as we, uh, we, um, we orient our parenting style to reflect the different children that we have. I've got three daughters. Every one of them are different. Every one of them have different nuances about how they will react or uh, uh, take offense, right? So we got to navigate the way we do things. But what we understand here is, is that children are to obey for this is right. And so we should expect our children to obey. We should expect our children to follow our rules. We should expect our children to do what we say and to not do what we don't want them to do. God has entrusted us as parents with this stewardship, as his proxy, as his authority, with a beautiful and wonderful right and responsibility. And so you define the standards of what is right and wrong in your home based upon what God says in his word. You're the leader. You're the authority in this space. So the question is, are you the leader in this space? Are you the one who sets the rules in your home? Do you allow the rules to be set by what the state would say? Do you allow the rules to be set by what the culture would say? Do you allow the rules to be set by what other family members or other friends say? Because here's what happens when you begin to lay out parameters and rules, perhaps for the first time when there's not been that. Little Johnny and little Susie are going to say, well, so-and-so. They're going to name a friend or a family member or a cousin and say, well, they don't have to do that. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard over the last few years, especially when, when children are wanting to get a phone. They're like, well, you know, I'm the only kid in my class that doesn't have a phone. Okay, you're, great. You are special, right? You are loved and beloved. You're not like everybody else. You're unique. You don't have a phone. Oh, I want to go to this when everyone else gets to go. Well, that's great. Well, I'm not parenting everyone else. Right? So that's kind of my response to that. That's probably some of y'all's response to, the, to your children's um, nagging back to the parameters you've laid out. But here's what, here's what we need to understand. You as a mom, you as a dad are the ones to set the rules. You set the parameters. And so when you begin to do that, when you try to lean into this, let's say this morning that, that in your home right now, the kids are running the show. And you recognize this is not the way it needs to be. And you already know that, right? You're frustrated with it. So there's this back and forth all the time in your home. There's fighting. You're wanting to win the fight, but you also don't want to push them away. And so you just, you just try to make peace. You try to go along with it. But you know it's not right. And let's say this morning that you decide in your heart, you make a commitment to the Lord, you make a commitment to yourself and to your spouse, that as mom and dad, we're going to lead the home. And you begin to exercise that tomorrow. You know what's going to happen tomorrow? Right? I don't think little Johnny and little Susie, as you sit down and have a family meeting, you said, all right, guys, the way we've been operating has not been the best. And we don't really think it honors the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. You know, pastor said this on Sunday morning. We learned this at the parenting conference this week. And so here's what we want to do. And you make a good biblical argument. I don't think you should expect little Johnny and little Susie to say, you know what, mom and dad, you're exactly right. I have been a 
I've been the Tasmanian devil for the last 11 years of my life, and I'm 11 years old. And, and I'm sorry for that, and I repent in dust and ashes. And, 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 I, and I just want to make things right. I want to do what's right. And so we're going to follow you. We're going to believe in you. We're going to trust you. Th- that would be wonderful. Amen? I mean, if that would be parenting, and if that happens in your life, please tell me. We want to get you on the stage. We want to learn how you did that. But I don't think you should expect that. What you should expect is little John and little Susie saying, I don't think so. Right? I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going in that direction. You think you're the boss? I'm the boss. Right? They're going to push you. They're going to fight against you. They're going to put their knuckles up. I mean, it's going to be a knockdown drag out on some level because what you've got here is a little monster who's full of sin who wants to own everything. And you, as a parent, are fighting two things. Passivity. I just want peace in the house. Or you're going to feel that tension, and you're going to experience that conflict come against you, and you're going to want to dominate that. So you're going to have to fight the battle between, will I passively pass, off, pass back or, or move back and let it pass on and try to keep peace, or am I going to exert my authority and exert my force, and maybe us men say, I'm going to exert my size over little Susie, and I'm going to win the battle. So you're going to have this internal war going on, or there's a third thing that perhaps might even slip us if we don't think about it. Mom and dad have two different ideas of how this ought to look. So there's all kinds of things going on here. And what needs to happen is you as a parent getting with your spouse as the other parent, talking it through and saying, this is what the Bible says about us. We're the leader. This is what the Bible says about us. We're to set the rules as the leader. We're the authority. And let's do it together. Let's do it together. So this leads us to a third feature. Coaching. As the parent, you coach the children in the home. You see, mom and dad, Paul here instructs you to bring up your children, as he says in verse 4, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Solomon, in all his wisdom in Proverbs 22, 6, puts it this way, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I just want you to know, if you don't know about Proverbs, they are general truths. That means they are generally true. And so... If you invest your life and you seek to train up children in, in the instruction and admonition of the Lord, most of the time, they're not going to depart from that. They may for a while, but they will come back to that. But that's not always the case. We could probably go around the room and tell stories of how mom and dad loved Jesus, loved the Word of God, tried to invest that in their children, and it never took root in their children's lives. And so they may think of themselves as a failure, but that's not, the tr- that's not the case at all. You tried your best. You did your best. You trusted the Lord. You prayed. You in- spiritually invested in their life. But for whatever reason, they've rejected the gospel. They've rejected the word of God, and that's on them. But generally speaking, if we will do what the word of God says, our children will not depart from that instruction. So these verses talk about, present this idea of coaching. Bringing up means that children need to grow, they need to develop, they need to mature. Now, naturally, our children will do those three, three things. They will grow, they will develop, they will mature. I mean, think about it. You get pregnant, you deliver the baby, mom delivers the baby, mom and dad bring the baby home. You, you're, you're just enamored with the beauty of this little child. I mean, you're feeding, you're holding, you're rocking, you're putting to bed, you're changing diapers, which we could probably do without, but that's part of the process. I mean, we do all of these wonderful things. And what goes through our mind the whole time? 
oh, I wish I could hold on to this time. I don't want it to go by so fast. But it seems like it just speeds by. And so you leave, leave those uh, nursery months, and then now you're into the toddler years, and they're learning to walk, and they're learning to talk, and, and it's just special. And they got that cute little uh, lisp to their words, and you're thinking, oh, that's precious, and they, you know, they're mispronouncing things, and, and uh, I've always been the one that wants to correct the grammar and correct the, the way you should say things, and Kara's like, no, 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 let's just let her do that, because she's not going to do it for her whole life. And I'm like, man, I don't want to look like an idiot at six years old still saying something in gibberish, but we want to hold on to those years, Right? I don't know where I, why I went to there, but that was the conversation we had with three kids over all the years that we've been parenting. But we want to hold on to that. Even in their teenage years, we're thinking, boy, I wish we could just kind of put a brick on their head and kind of keep them at a certain age. But that's impossible. Kids naturally grow, develop, and mature physically. They don't naturally do that spiritually. So that's where we come in, Right? Also, children don't naturally develop morally. Left to ourselves, we're despicable human beings. The Bible says, Paul says in Romans 3, there is no one good, no, not one, right? So we are sinful, fallen, broken, and it's our responsibility as the leader of our homes, as the authority in our homes, to coach our children, to bring them up, to train them up so that they know who God is, faith into Jesus Christ, and live a life that's reflective of of the life of Jesus that's within them. And so we are to coach them up. As we read these verses here, Ephesians 6, 4 and Proverbs 22, 6, they imply a dichotomy of influences. For instance, when he says, train up a child in the way he should go, that speaks of that there's a right way and there's a wrong way. When he talks about bring, up, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the implication then is that this is a right way to go and there's also a wrong way to go. So we're to understand this danger that's out there, this wrong path that children have a tendency to take. So there is a worldly influence influencing our children, and there is a influence that comes through the Word of God, and that has to be our priority as Christian parents. So we ought to encourage our children to lean in to the gospel, which means we've got to lean in to coaching them, to training them, to bringing them up to the Word of God. Many times, well-meaning parents, Christian parents, will create resentment in their children. Look at the first part of verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So here's Paul saying, we must train our children, raise up our children, bring them up in the discipline, the instruction of the Lord. But we have a tendency to be overbearing in that way, to provoke them to anger. There's many ways that you could do that. Let me just point out one of them that I see today in the Christian church. And this, that's this idea of helicopter parenting. You've heard the term. It's the idea that, that parents are so overprotective that they're just constantly over top their parents, overshadowing and, and not allowing them to do certain things. Like don't want little Johnny to break his arm. No one wants little Johnny to break his arm. But there's some things you just can't learn unless you take a step in a certain direction, right? Get on the monkey bars. Swing around. Do some stuff. Don't want little Johnny to get hurt. But if little Johnny doesn't do certain things, then he can't grow and learn certain things. And there's always a risk of something. So it's the balancing act of the risk versus the outcome. The risk versus the opportunities to grow. And so in helicopter parenting, parents smother their children by restricting where they can go and what they can do. Now, obviously, that needs to be balanced. We shouldn't let kids go anywhere and everywhere they could. I remember when I was in fifth grade, 
I got a couple minutes, like four minutes and 50 seconds. I remember when I was in fifth grade, we lived in an apartment complex on the uh, north end of my hometown, Springdale, and uh, Busy Highway was right there, and Keith, you know this, I lived in Colonial, uh, right down from AQ Chicken House. And so, uh, AQ Chicken House, in the city of chickens. Um, so, a bunch of my friends, we would play in the sewer system. Like, not the sewer, but the, the drainage system. Sewer system would be really weird. But, you know, the, the pipes that were underneath the roads, they were really big. And so back in the late 80s, there was this show on TV. I think it was on ABC. It was like Beauty and the Beast or something like that. And they, they had this, this group of people that lived under the city of New York City. And so we kind of imitated them. And we just ran the pipes. Like we could go all kinds of places through those tunnels. And, and my parents, I don't know if my parents knew about it. If they knew, they didn't care. I look at that now, and I'm thinking, what was my parents thinking? I'm like, I'm hanging out underneath the road. I'm with all of these things. I'm a long way from the house. Most parents wouldn't do that today because they're so overprotective. I don't know if my parents were right or wrong, but we need to not smother our kids. We need to carefully guide. We need to give certain restrictions, but we need to trust our children on an age and maturity basis and keep giving them more and more freedom as they earn it so that they can grow and develop. Here's the bottom line. Children's wills can be guided, but they cannot be controlled. Oh, how I wish we could control them. I'm a little bit of a control freak at certain things in my life, but what I've learned is the more I try to control my kids and force my hand the more they will push against it. And so if I can learn how to lovingly guide, direct, correct where needed, lovingly guide, direct, challenge, admonish, the more they'll lean into that and we can come together and we can see good outcomes as a result. And so we need to understand as parents, we're the coach. We coach our children in our home. So mom and dad, are you coaching your children? Are you instructing them in the things of God? Do you teach them how the word, how to read the word, how to pray, how to serve? Do you teach your children how to share the gospel? Do you teach your children today how to be generous as a Christian with your time, with your talents, with your treasure? Are you teaching your children how to love others? Are you teaching your children how to say no to sin? Are you teaching your children how to work hard? I mean, where are your children going to learn these disciplines in the Christian life if they don't learn them from you? You're the coach that leads them to where they need to be. There's a fourth feature I want you to see this morning. It's the idea of submission. As the parent, you submit to the Lord in the home. You see, Ephesians 4, 6, 4 uh, shows us and teaches us that parents are to bring their children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so mom and dad, when you think about what that looks like for you, that means your parenting must be incarnational. Your parenting must flow out of the overflow of your walk with Jesus Christ. So you can't point your child to Jesus if you don't first know Jesus. You can't point your child and teach your child to flee sin if you have not first turned from sin or not continually turning from sin. You can't live a holy life before your children if you've not first made your life holy through Jesus and continue to walk in holiness. You can't make a disciple of your children if you're not a disciple yourself. And so we have to submit ourselves to the Lord. Goes back to Ephesians 5:1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Are you a child of God? Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you walking with Jesus daily? As parents, we want to rightly lead our homes. If we want to set the rules in our homes, if we want to coach our children in our homes, then we must first submit ourselves to the Lord in our homes. 
We must make sure that we go the way we want our kids to go. We must first have our own faith before we can give them faith in Jesus Christ or direct them toward faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we're talking about today and this whole weekend is the idea of parenting and what keeps coming up in my mind and in my heart is that this is, seems to be like an impossible task. It's one of the most difficult things that God has entrusted to any one of us, this idea of parenting, of stewarding and guiding and directing these little monsters in our homes that push our buttons, that challenge us, that bring us to our wits end, and yet at the same time, bless us. I can't tell you the pride I've had seeing my three daughters go on their own spiritual journey to find faith in Jesus Christ. It's been different for all three. A couple weeks ago when I had the privilege of baptizing Hadley, our youngest, she's eight years old, and so I think I mentioned that Sunday up here in the baptistry that this has been like a two-year process for us, and she's been asking, when can I get baptized, when can I get baptized, when can I get baptized, and so I do with my kids like I do with your kids, and that is, all right, let's talk about the gospel. What does that mean? And she can give me all these answers, and I've not been satisfied because I have preacher kids, right? They, they should know theology, and I think they should know more theology. And I joked that Sunday morning that I've kind of been expecting them to write a dissertation of Paul's theology of salvation for Romans 9 and, and give me a clear argument for that. And, and yet, as I was preaching out of Luke a month before that, God just kind of pricked my heart when it talked about how we're to not deny kids from coming to Jesus, that, they're to have, that we're to have childlike faith. And so I've seen my girls come to faith in Jesus Christ as God has guided each one of them through our influence, through our church's influence, and it's been joy to be able to see that and do that. How has that been possible? A lot of failure on our parts, but Karen and I have strived to submit ourselves to the Lord. Mom and Dad, God's given you the most special and pivotal responsibility you could ever ask for, that of being a mom and a dad. He's entrusted you with shaping the future. We talked about it this weekend. Your children are, I loved how it was described the other day, world changers. And so in one way or another, they're, they're going to change the world. They're going to change the world around them. And the question is, will it be for good or will it be for bad? Will it be for holiness or wickedness? Will it be for Christ or for themselves? We are the ones right there in the midst of that equation that have so much influence that will direct which path they will be on simply by us being there and what we say and how we love. And here's the difference, how we model it. You see, when it says train up a child in the way they should go, he should go and he will not depart from it, how does that training happen? Modeling. Coaching is modeling, right? Modeling how I submit to the Lord, modeling how to believe God's word, modeling how I live my life, modeling how I talk to others. It's all caught. It's not so much taught. And so this morning, I want to encourage you as a mom and a dad to lean into that. Be the leader. Set the rules in your home. Coach your children up, all while submitting yourselves unto the Lord for their good and for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of children. Your word tells us that it is a blessing. It is a blessing to have children. And I'm this morning grateful for those couples in our church who are pregnant right now, some of them nearing the end of their pregnancy, others on the front end of the pregnancy. And so, the, Lord, what an exciting season of life it is for them. Many of them are first-time parents, and they, for them, that's only theory right now. 
It's, it's only hearing stories and being encouraged from other parents. And yet they don't fully understand what's awaiting them. But, Lord, it is a blessing. It is something good and glorious. Many of us in this room, the vast majority are seasoned. Some of us feel like failures. Some of us feel like we've done an okay job. Maybe a few of us feel like we've done a really good job. But in all of that, we know our inadequacies. But, God, that's when you step in. And we thank you for it. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Help us this morning to recognize what a blessing it is, what a responsibility it is also to be a mom and a dad. God, I pray especially this morning for single parents today. Circumstances of life have not turned out to be what they intended them to be. Perhaps it was their own decision, the decision of another spouse. It really doesn't matter right now. We just thank you that your grace is sufficient in each and every situation. And Father, help them to lean in and to trust you in a situation that is vastly more difficult than others in our church. God, help us as well as a church to recognize our opportunities to rally around single homes, single parent homes, and to step in, perhaps be a father where there is no father, a mother where there is no mother, and to love them to Jesus. Help us this morning. We thank you for your spirit that's always with us, leads us, guides us, and directs us. For that, we're thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.